Hello and welcome to Mender Teacups. Um, this is uh, Molly and Helen and we are still sitting in our separate homes um, via the wonders of Zoom chatting to each other. But it's January, January 2021, first podcast of the year. So Helen, would you like to tell us what we're going to be talking about this time? Well, we thought we'd pick up a bit more on our occasional series on curriculum ideas. And today we're going to talk about how we've approached teaching English to our children, teaching English uh, in terms of language and literature and some of the ideas that we've had over the years and some of the approaches that we've used. Molly, have you found it easy teaching English? Well, I actually think it's probably one of the subjects that I I feel mostly that I have failed in. in some ways particularly with my eldest I think we have a complex situation um, in that two of our kids are dyslexic uh, which we've talked about before so that is we're not going to talk about now that is slightly different um, although there is much overlap um, obviously with sort of the literature um, storytelling story reading side and then two are non-dyslexic one of those our oldest is very very science based science minded Um, he's currently studying engineering at Bristol, though he's mainly doing that from home. Um, and he's very engineer, very science minded. But my oldest daughter is definitely loves um, English and loves language. And so I kind of feel that actually all the mistakes I've made sort of up till now, <laughs> I can kind of correct. And I'm really enjoying teaching English with her, though I'm, I'm not sure that she she necessarily always appreciates it. <laughs> so um, I've used a huge amount of a mixture of different things. So I've learned quite a lot over the time. So which I can kind of talk about a bit later. But I think you've had a, a bit more of a consistent approach. So do you want to do you want to start off by telling us your consistent approach and then I can add all my kaleidoscope of bits in afterwards? <laughs> well, it's interesting that you looking from the outside to see my approach as consistent because from the inside it hasn't felt all that consistent, to be honest. And we've done different things with the different children. But I suppose that's partly the joy of home ed, isn't it? That each child can have a more tailored experience. Um, and it's partly because obviously when you have one child you're worrying about it's different from when you've got three that you're trying to juggle around and make things work for and then things sort of slide or get forgotten about whatever we've done different things over the years Um, our overarching um, curriculum I get from the states which is from a company called Sunlight and their approach to what they call language arts is very much connected with the books that you are reading so you you read good books with the children and they start learning to read good books themselves and the English language bits that they are practicing on or whatever learning from come from those books so they'll choose a passage from one of those books and talk about whatever it might be verbs and nouns and so on or and over the years we've used that with different levels of success and different levels of consistency The other thing I have done is I've quite enjoyed using books from Schofield and Sims, which is a company that do quite well, I think, quite well written workbooks. They look quite fun to use and my children have got on well with them. So we've used some of those as well. So, yes, we've done different things and it's been quite good. Both my older two have gone to college to do their English GCSE. It's one of the exams that I felt least confident about being able to do from home. I would be very happy to take an exam in it myself, but I can't really boil down what it is that makes a good composition against. I can I can see my children's writing and say this is better than this or this is improving, whatever. But I can't really get 
the nub of what it is that they need to practice. My daughter's teacher has mentioned that it's obvious that she has read very widely. And so I think that is my number one tip for English teaching as a home educator is read, 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 read to your children. If they can read themselves, get them to read themselves, have them listen to audible, um, you know, to audio books, as much variety as possible, much as many genres as possible, um, as many authors, and really expose them to all sorts of different writing for different purposes. And then the language gets in, comes with that, doesn't it? It becomes part of their understanding of the world and they will start using language in, in, that, in those ways, in appropriate ways as well. That's a kind of an overview of how we've done English. What are some of the approaches that you've had a go at over the years? That sounds great, Helen. I think that sounds really good. And I certainly um, say that as well, that just to read, 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 or to listen, listen, listen kind of thing. When we first started, I, I, as I have said before, I really hadn't done any reading at all. I didn't know about any educational philosophies or anything. So um, because I love reading, um, we just read a lot of stories and a lot of everything was kind of, yeah, a lot was just reading to the boys. And then to help with, because I kind of thought, well, they'll probably go back into the school system at some stage. So I, I just got each year one of the W.H. Smith's books and then later on Schofield and Sims, because I, yeah, I think they're great, with, with kind of basic grammar in. So we just learned the different grammar. And then from that, you know, I would I would make up games and things. So they're pretty dry, those books, to be honest. But um, but if you want to have a, a, a an understand just an idea of where roughly within the UK system, if they're going to be taking a GCSE one day, um, roughly the sorts of things that they could be learning I, I would use them as a bit of a tool rather than a working through bit by all the time because they are quite boring and quite dry I think <laughs> um, although some kids love that they actually really enjoy being able to fill in boxes so I think it does and actually I think my son quite liked doing that so I think it very much depends also on the personality type so we did that and then I think the, the biggest mistake I made was when our, our oldest son hit 12, something like that, when he would be at secondary school. And I suddenly thought, oh my gosh, he's going to have to take a GCSE in this. What am I going to do? I think it would better be a bit more structured. And I bought a kind of a key stage fee book and it was incredibly dull and it was incredibly dry. And all the, um, it certainly taught him all, it taught him the technicalities of reading um, of, and of writing and um, all the kind of the grammar and stuff. But I think we used it at our cost of just our love of reading together. So I think I made that mistake then. He has, he did continue to read through his teenage years or, you know, by himself, which is great. He, he's not a great reader now, but he's, but then his dad isn't either. They're both very, very scientifically minded. They both tend to read factual books if they read. So I think it is partly a personality type as well. And my second son is dyslexic. So um, we have gone a lot with that is just um, uh, a different way of learning, which we talked about before. But this, what we've done in common, similar, is, is lots of listening. So I read him when I can, lots and lots of listening. And I think the other thing that we do is we've always had a quiet time after lunch, which is when everybody reads or the youngest one who can't read yet still as dyslexic and she listens. And everybody reads during that time. Um, and right up almost until, yeah, until college, university, they, they still do that. And, and I think that's a really good thing as well, having that after, after lunch time, that quiet time with some books, maybe with some raisins or some chocolate buttons or bribery, anything kind of to make it nice and just have that nice, cosy time. So they associate books 
with something which is lovely. And if you've got a little one and they're very bouncy, which you know my son was, it might only be kind of 10, 15 minutes and lots of picture books on the bed and he can just kind of go through them. But actually he is very creative and he he loves stories. Um, although you know the technicalities are more difficult for him, but he loves stories. By the time our third daughter, I thought, right, well, I could see she loves language. And she's, in fact, when we were, we were driving in the car today and I said something about two times and she said, mum, it's twice. You don't say two times, you say twice. <laughs> she said, I had good language because dad's always corrected me right from when I was young. <laughs> so she's true, she does have the language skills. I started doing a little bit more reading about different approaches. I feel I'm waffling. Should, do you want to say a little bit more about yours and then I can go on? I was thinking about what sort of approaches we've done and um, about the ho- whole thing about getting a variety of language and so on. And one of the things that comes up at some point for people is about Shakespeare. And I think Shakespeare does worry some people. Maybe you haven't approached it yourself, I suppose. And you, you worry that the language might be difficult for you. I think it's been great that I've been able to do some Shakespeare with all of my children and we've done that as a group Um, we found other home ed uh, youngsters and we've read Shakespeare plays together out loud which is kind of you know is what Shakespeare intended isn't it (laughs) it's it's supposed to be out loud and we've struggled together with some of the language and I found the um, Oxford schools editions brilliant because they've got in the the margins they've got some some of the difficult the hardest words are explained for you so you can see how that's going and also they give you an overview so if you can't quite follow what's happening you can go and look at the overview as well and remind yourself I really recommend it and if it's daunting for you find someone else find another home editing family and I'm just thinking about what sort of age my youngest is 13 now and we're just she's just doing her sort of looking through her first actual Shakespeare she's really enjoyed um, Shakespeare versions that we found on the BBC schools website there's been quite fun so she likes the stories already and so she's that's another thing that she's been she's ready to look at some of that older older um, Elizabethan language because she already is quite excited about what the story is and then she and her, her contemporaries at the moment that we're, we're looking at the Tempest together and I can see when I'm reading it with them you know you can see they don't always get all the language but they're getting the gist of it and it's it's taking root isn't it and it's going to be part of that and they'll gradually develop that understanding I, I have to work quite hard whether how much to sort of stop and explain and how much to let let it flow and just get the general gist especially at the moment over zoom it's not, it's very much different than it was when I was doing it with the older ones in groups in person in a room together and being able to have a really good fun time trying to act things out and have a go at um, actually saying Shakespeare and sort of really understanding where where the sentences ebb and flow and so on so if uh, I would say if, if as a mum you're interested in getting Shakespeare into your kids, but you're a bit nervous, then find someone else to do it with, because actually the more the merrier and, you know, you can learn from each other and saying it out loud somehow helps you get through those sentences. And we you know you were saying about your child preferring sort of factual books. And I think that's all part of having your range of genres to read from, isn't it? And I think there are some children who will naturally be drawn to fact rather than fiction. And you can intersperse both with the reading that you feed their way on. You encourage them to read. There's reading all around us, isn't there? The newspapers and blog posts and books and, you know, factual books and so on. And I think that's 
you know, it's, it's all part of understanding sentences and language and understanding genre and understanding tone and all those things that make up how to respond in an if you if you want to take an English exam if you want to understand English language and one of the other ways of helping you kind of understand that is and it's sort of old-fashioned so some people don't like it is dictation and copywork and I've let this slide a bit and I was thinking the other day whether to wondering whether to bring it back into our home ed life but it was something that my older two did much more than my younger child is now doing and dictation and copywork have you can look up some research about why it has a good place but again it's it's using some words that they know from books that they're reading and then helping them copy it down word for word and they it's another way of helping them see what good sentence structure looks like and what lovely writing is like because you're giving them an example to copy straight straight from the from the book that's not everyone's cup of tea, is it, doing dictation and copywork? But it's it's a part of that kind of arsenal of how to help your children develop their love of language and develop their love of reading and understanding the words around them. Yeah, that's great. We, we certainly do copywork and dictation. And I love what you say about Shakespeare. I, I think that's so true, isn't it, that, that it's Shakespeare was meant to be seen as a play kind of thing and to be enjoyed with people rather than, than studied. It's, it's hermeneutically, is that the right word? When you kind of just study completely, get out the languages, is that get kind of study word study? We've, yeah, we've done different things. RSC used to do kind of like live streams of different plays to schools and then you could log on as a home educator. Um, and certainly did that quite a few years ago, but I haven't noticed either I've just fallen off their email list or they're just not doing it anymore. But that was quite fun, being able to see them perform live. And then you had kind of like Q&As and some interviews. So if anyone finds that, that may still happen. Um, might be on hold we, COVID, mightn't it? It could be, yeah, it could be, yeah. But actually, I I use a book called, is it Teaching? She will put the link in by Ken Ludwig, uh, Teaching Shakespeare to Your Children or something like that that's fun that's helped me to understand a bit more so we so we sort of studied a few plays like that just learning learning a passage I never do I mean for his kids obviously learn chunks of Shakespeare and we certainly haven't done that you know like one passage per play is is, is enough for us um, and then we have tried also to see Shakespeare live if you can go and, and see that that you know that is amazing we've been able to go up to um and camp up in Stratford on Avon and go around his house and so it's just sort of sort of things like that that all make it this kind of make it come alive that that's so and again I agree with you my daughter she loves the stories she's read the stories in different different versions not not in not in the original language so she she knows the stories far better than I do actually she really likes the stories um yes there's um the Charles Lamb versions and Geraldine yeah. McCochran's done some and Marcia Williams the um the kind of comic strip versions they're fabulous they're got so much in them and uh, I really appreciate all of that those ones we could put some links to some of those ideas and I think that can be really fun Shakespeare that's just, just it just adds a richness and so many of the phrases that we use today actually comes from Shakespeare so but it but I think a lot of it is just developing just developing a love for I, I kind of feel that actually that's mostly what I want to do with English I want them to be able to 
to write when they need to. So, for, you know, for my older son, actually being able to write, you know, a scientific report that he needs to do, you know, for, for others, it may be writing stories or writing, you know, to be able to express themselves grammatically, but also just simply to love, to be able just to enjoy it, to enjoy stories. So sort of a bit of research when I started looking at different approaches to um, learning English, in some ways they come from different camps, but actually I think there's a huge amount of overlap as I have sort of read sort of the classical edu- classical approach, which we've used a bit of, which is um, a book called Writing with Ease by Susan Wise Bauer. And she very much talks about that you have to, there are kind of like two, two stages of learning um, to write. The first bit is that you take your thoughts and put them into words and that we, they use um, kind of narration for that. And then the next one is putting the words onto paper. And so you use copywork for that. And so it's very much trying to, rather than trying to, to say, well, just write a story, that's actually using two different approaches because you're having to put your thoughts into words and then you're having to put the words onto paper. And so her approach, which I've, I've used a lot, is just very bit by bit, taking over a long, really quite a long period of time, just lots of, First of all, initially, narration by words. And so I'll read a uh, paragraph, you know, several paragraphs um, from from her, from the book, from a story, a really good story. And then they narrate it back to me. So they kind of say what it is, what's happening. And then as they get older, they, they read it themselves. And then they write their narration down. So they write a kind of summary. Um, and if you've never done this before, because I didn't do it, you know, initially with my older ones, but actually you probably you probably do it all the time. And if your child watches a film, they will then tell you what the film's about. You know, that's narration. Or if they've read their own book, they'll tell you what it's about. Or if they've seen, gone out and seen something, they'll come and tell you. So narration is just kind of telling back and it's trying to get those memory skills, things ordered so that they can just repeat, kind of repeat back to you. So that's been really good. And then as, as you, she moves on with her curriculum, she then looks at different, looks at narrating different genre she uses it to use another word but I think it's kind of genre and as Helen was saying so that actually the child gets used to reading all sorts of things um and that's actually getting I think a little bit too technical for the way my daughters and my personality both of us go together actually so another approach that um I've read about also and I also I use I think you kind of can read things and kind of incorporate a lot of into into the way um we live and teach English um, is Julie Bogart, a um, brave writer who's definitely one of my favourite um, home ed authors. She does a podcast as well, um, which is also great. Um, and she's she's got a lot of wisdom. She very much talks about the fact that uh, when your first child starts, says a first word and says it's slightly wrong. I think she used the word nana, which means banana. You know, like she didn't suddenly say, actually, you're supposed to say birth at the beginning and that's a noun <laughs> and, <laughs> and if you would like one I'd like you to put please at the front of it <laughs> um, she's like wow he's speaking <laughs> so we get really excited and she and she's very much more let you know let's trust the process you know children I guess she doesn't say this but you know children learn to walk children will I think by osmosis a lot um, will will learn, they will learn to talk and they will learn to write. Um, and she talks much more about us trust, trusting trusting the process and again talks about the, the kind of the, the two sides of it, sort of the mechanical side of it, which is the, the learning to write or to type and the grammar and the 
um, the structure and everything, and then the actual the creative thought process. And I, and I think her thinking is in the early years. Actually, we just we just let kids enjoy the creativeness and be able to, and we can be the scribes for them, or I guess they can speak into things. Um, and uh, record but actually just for them to really enjoy the whole process of writing rather than getting too bogged down with all the technicalities which in some ways seems a little bit a little bit different from the the classical the Susan Weiss Bauer but um but I think these two ladies are actually really good buddies in fact and actually I love I love both their approaches and I have incorporated both of them as part of our a part of our home ed and this is sort of thing you know, that actually we used to do things like um a tag storytelling so when we're walking along the road we, we had ongoing stories and my son would say a little bit I think he was about to tip a truck or something and um he'd say a little bit about his 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 story and then ha- live on a cliffhanger and then I'd say the next bit and then he'd say the next bit and I'd say the next bit and we sort of done that with various kids that can get a bit tedious but um and then there's just so many other ways that we can enjoy just being creative and our kids are being creative without getting too bogged down. And then alongside that, we've certainly done the narration and the copy work. So we've sort of used those two different approaches. Yeah, and that's something that um, Andrew Pudewer talks about in his approach, which is IEW. And again, that's something that I've used. That's been really successful with my youngest child. And one of the reasons that was so successful actually for me was that another mum wanted to do it with her child and she brought my my daughter in with her so she did the teaching I got it for a bonus from my end which was lovely and it was great because the two girls had someone else to learn with and you know I was able to pass over a bit of learning to someone else for a little while it was you know it worked really well for all of us but again his approach is very much coming up with the creativity side is one thing and learning the mechanics is a different thing so he teaches by you read a story and you learn how to kind of rewrite that story so you don't have to come up with your creativity while you're learning about the mechanics of writing and gradually through his process then you you can start being more creative but um just separating out those two things so that the the, the two stresses aren't happening at the same time as it were and to help with the creativity and obviously we're talking about um, making up stories on the spot and um, sometimes you just want to tell your child you know write a story and I don't know what to write about I don't know if I remember when when I was doing writing myself in schools and things if they told me what to write about I could think of a hundred other subjects I would rather be writing about but if they said write about anything I couldn't think of one single thing is that something you found we've used at different times what they call story starters and um, there's a great big book of story starters, which can be pictures and so on. And then it gives you something to begin with. And then you, you can take the story anywhere you want, because obviously whatever's happening in the picture, you then interpret and make the story happen. It can be a picture or it can be a, an opening sentence. Or the other day, one of my daughters wanted to write something. She decided she was going to write for half an hour. And the other daughter said, well, your prompt is llamas. So that was the one word llamas. And then she had to make a story about llamas and it made us all laugh at the end of it. But I think sometimes if you want to try and help your children on the way to being creative, a little prompt gets gets those juices starting flowing, isn't it? And when you're doing the creativity bit, you're not worrying about so much about all the grammar you can go back and edit that afterwards and you can teach and learn about oh well this is how we lay the paragraphs out and this is how we do speech and so on um, afterwards when when the creativity is done 
I don't know if you've had reluctant writers. My son was just, you know, he wasn't that impressed about having to write things. So one of the reasons, one of the ways we did that was, well, dictation and copywork. That's something we did every day for a while, or maybe not quite every day, but that was just part of our routine. It helped him get used to the whole mechanics of writing without having to worry about making things up. And then gradually later, I came up with some different ideas about how to encourage him to write a little bit every, every day. Um, I suppose one of the things I would say if you have got a reluctant writer is don't worry too much about what they're writing. Just help them to write <laughs> regularly. And if you get them to write down your shopping list for you, you know, that sort of thing, it's, it's helping just build those skills and build that ability and build a bit of spelling as well. I set up, helped my son set up a blog for a while and we called it Five Things and Partly this was because I thought, well, it maybe he'd be more interested in typing something than in write, actually handwriting, because he was quite keen on the computer, you know, getting more and more keen on using a computer. And the idea there was I would give him a topic and he had to, all he had to do was write five things about that topic. So that was very finite, very defined, and it could be something factual or fictional. So it could be five things I like about dragons or five things about me five things I found out yesterday whatever it might be we didn't do loads of them but it just helped you know give him a there was a reason to write I'm creating a blog there was a finite time I only have to find these five things and it just helped sort of break a little bit of that that sort of um, resistance to writing that's a great idea and I think that's interesting because you know both your older son and my older son are both um, quite technically minded and so so actually probably creative writing although I know your son reads a lot, creative writing isn't going to be their absolute flair where possibly for a couple of our daughters, they are going to just love doing that. And, and I think sometimes home ed can be quite literary minded. <laughs> so, so for those of us with more science-based kids, you feel like a bit of a failure, but actually all are equally valid. And, and, and so long as they're, edu- you know, for, we are able to educate them with the tools they need for life. So, you know, as long as your son and my son could write their, you know, their more scientific, technic kind of reports, that's what they need to do. So actually there, you know, the grammar is probably going to be more important yeah. um, than, than the wonderful imagination. But who knows, they may, they may write stories one day from it, or they may write blog posts, or they might write articles, or they may create all sorts of things. So, but I think that's where, you know, we are just all different, aren't we? I yeah. think when, when my son got to college, he discovered he was more creative than he thought he was. <laughs> and not- um, so I suppose that's part of the within the circles that we were moving. Every, everybody seemed to be writing stories except my son. Um, but in actual fact, he, he was very creative and he did manage to come up with some good, good pieces of work when he was doing when he was preparing for his uh, English exam. And his creativity will probably come out in other ways as well because of what he's doing. So all his creativity will be expressed in a different medium, probably. So, but that will all have come probably from all the different stories that he's read. So it all comes out. Another thing that we love doing, um, and I know lots of home ed families do this, is a poetry tea time, which I think also was a Julie Bogart. um, Was that come from her, I think? If you can do it to a greater or lesser extent, you know, when we're younger, we we would just sit round and would read because actually, if you have some food, actually, that it creates a nice warm, fuzzy feeling and a nice family feeling. Everybody likes, you know, nice sticky biscuits or whatever they are, cookies or cake. And actually, for people who, you know, if, if you're not that keen on reading poetry um, or reading a book that 
maybe the kids aren't that interested actually if you have some food alongside it it helps an awful lot so that's sort of fairly intuitive but actually you can make you you can then make it even more creative by specifically having um having a poetry tea time and so and lay out we I tend to do it because the girls quite like visually pretty things so we do actually you know put a tablecloth on the table and have a nice china and we don't do it always like this but we quite often do it just because they quite like that um, and then we get the poetry books out and we just read each other poems and I, I don't know a huge amount about poetry but it's just fun it's just it's just just fun to be able to read poems to each other kind of winter themed or summer themed or, or about bees or about or just random that's a, a really fun I'm sure there's an if you hashtag if you're on Instagram and you just hashtag poetry tea time you, you get all sorts of lovely pictures of beautiful tables and and it's very inspiring and I'm sure it doesn't show any of the spilt milk and the <laughs> squabbles over <laughs> Ask cookie and all the rest of it but actually it is it's a really fun it's a fun thing to do though isn't it yeah I, I like our poetry tea times but my, my children haven't always been quite as enthusiastic as me but as you say food goes a long way to bringing them around the table and um, I'm hoping that they'll look back fondly in later yeah. years <laughs> yeah I, I yes so don't get too distracted by all those beautiful pictures on Instagram <laughs> because sometimes it's just raw and rugged <laughs> absolutely and and I'm just I'm trying to work out to think of a way of um of sort of carrying those on into kind of young adult years and I think we've got a bottle of port which I think is rather old actually but I think it's probably still drinkable <laughs> I think somebody gave it to us a few years ago and I did think you know what about port and stilton and um <laughs> and yes. some poetry <laughs> maybe that could be a lockdown something we could do this lockdown <laughs> for the old <laughs> But older kids. <laughs> yes, make it something that the younger ones are clamouring to be involved in. <laughs> yeah. And I think just, I guess my final thing actually with English is um, is that to kind of to encourage us, because actually we all do it, we're all going to do it in slightly different ways. But one of the things that all of us do as home educators is spend a lot of time with our kids and a lot of time talking to them. We have continual yeah. conversations the whole time. And I think I would suggest that the conversations that we have at home are quite different from those that they would have at school um, in a more structured way and sort of in the playground because they are horizontal rather than vertical. So, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be ha having uh, conversations with adults with maybe different generations of adults with you know people in the, the shops people as you you know you go out with older siblings um so I would I would suggest that you know the, the richness and the depth of the conversations that we're having are really a great and you know around the dinner table just all the time and so I think to really encourage all of us that however we teach English and whatever mistakes we make and I certainly feel I've made mistakes in English but actually what the best thing we're giving them, as well as reading stories and listening to stories, is actually the, the conversations we have all the time, the conversations, ongoing conversations. And I just think that's a wonderful gift we're able to give our kids. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Molly. Well, I hope that's been encouraging to our listeners and we've enjoyed chatting about those different things. I think there's probably more things that are occurring to me now. So perhaps we'll make a few blog posts to go along with this podcast as well. So watch out on our blog as well for more ideas. And always we say, if you've got great ideas that we haven't mentioned, then do share them with us because we always love to learn too. And we'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>